You are listening to The Concierge on Monocle 24. Coming up on today's programme, a trusty aviation expert is in the house for the latest news and all your flight-related questions. And we take a trip to Ibiza to see what the island has to offer off-season. One of the keys to the island is actually how vulnerable and how authentic can you be. And when people feel that you're real, whatever it is, that's what's celebrated here. It's then off to Sweden where we take a gastronomic tour to Ostersund in Jämtland. It's all about riding those umlauts. Here you serve a lot of Swedish fika. It's kind of like the Nordic afternoon tea, but we do it all day. And we drive a mere 15 minutes from the Dutch capital of Amsterdam for a world-exclusive peek into the just-opened De Herdem Hotel. That's all coming up on The Concierge in association with Allianz Partners. This is The Concierge on Monocle, and I'm Robert Bounds. And this promises to be the show that takes you on the road, on the rails, by sea or air, for the latest takeoffs and touchdowns in the world of travel. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Monocle editor Josh Fennett. Welcome, Josh. Hi, Rob. Lovely to be here. I never thought I'd be an authority on telling you how to pronounce things in Dutch. But as the person who visited that hotel... (laughs) Um, who is uh, who? Who is at this moment fearing a um, a sternly worded email from the PR? Yeah. I believe it might be pronounced de derhadam. De derhadam. Okay. Anyway, okay. I'll, I'll be correcting you throughout the show on everything you get wrong. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> this is why we've got the brains trust um, around the desk. Um, also, not just Josh. Thanks a lot, Josh. <laughs> for putting me in it right in the first two minutes. Um, also with us is the globally respected broadcaster, who's clearly written his own script, <laughs> Very kind. Um, and CEO of Travel Consultancy. Uh, that's called the PC Agency, and he is Paul Charles. Welcome to the programme, Great Paul. to be here on Lovely such a to... stunning show. Can't wait. <laughs> well, thanks. This is, we, we were discussing before we turned on the microphones, Josh, weren't we, what... If the Maiden Voyage is episode one, well, maybe someone can write in. When they're criticising my Dutch and possibly Swedish pronunciation, they can write in and tell Someone can tell us uh, uh, what uh, the name for something, the second of something is. The next best. The next best thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we're not talking about the next best thing. We're thinking that we're talking about the last best thing. This is the point in the programme when we ask you to take out your passports and talk about the last stamp that you got. So, Paul, we'll start with you. Well, my passport... I should imagine it's in fairly tatty order. It is. It's getting really full now because, of course, since Brexit, you have to be stamped in and stamped out of everywhere. And my last trip actually caused a problem because it was to Helsinki in Finland, which I, I love that country. Mm-hmm. And I nipped across to Tallinn in Estonia, which is just a 20-minute hop by plane. <laughs> and when I came back out of Tallinn, they didn't stamp my passport. So I got to Helsinki on the return trip... Oh, and they looked at me as if I was trouble. And they said, <laughs> they said, you haven't been stamped out. We don't know when you went into Estonia. Right. And it became a bit of an issue. So eventually, two hours later, they had to stamp my passport several times to prove I'd been in and out of Tallinn, in and out of Helsinki. And eventually I got through. But yeah, that's my last stop. I like that. Um, it almost feels like you need a sort of separate section in the back. And notes, you know, used up your notes section, presumably. I need a massage after that. I'll <laughs> tell you, it was such a, a, a stressful journey and stressful thing. It's, and... it's tough these days at Border Control. Yeah. Yeah, but so it is. And Josh, we, um, you're on our last edition of the Concierge, and we might have talked about having your passport stamped on a trip to Ireland last time. So where, is it, where are you going next? I Which did. Is... I managed to give you some tips on Ireland. I managed to give you some tips on uh, Venice. Uh, and I thought I should probably throw ahead to the next big trip, um, which will coincide with a few Monocle events which are happening in New York the week before. But the Monocle team is heading to North Carolina. Of Amazing. All, of all places. Beautiful. to the, the beautiful city of Asheville, where we'll be hosting a weekender. 
for which tickets are now available and very reasonably priced. Um, but we're going to be looking around meeting the entrepreneurs, the creative set and the people who've traded big cities on the coast for a bit of inland living and uh, and the good life. And uh, hopefully on the way out afterwards, I'm going to be stopping in New York as well. I'm going to be checking out a new hotel called The Penny in nice. Williamsburg. And I'm going to be looking at a hotel that's been open for a month or two, but is really causing a stir called The Nine Orchard in Midtown. Um, and a lot of developments in and around Midtown, not least a new McNally Jackson bookshop in the Rockefeller Centre. So we can you... always handle a bit of McNally Jackson, can't we? We can, we can. And actually Sarah McNally, the CEO, will be with us in Asheville for our trip. So it goes full circle. A few little tips there for New York, but that's the end of next month, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Okay, so that's a Monocle Weekender. Um, sounds like you've also got a travel partners in New York, so that sounds fun. I like that. Sarah McNally. The fragrant Sarah McNally. What could go wrong? It's great. Exactly. What's the next chapter for our love affair? <laughs> All right, now we're going to move things on, and this is Ding Ding. It's the concierge service. Okay, this is the part of the programme, as previously primed on the last uh, episode, Paul, where you, as our resident travel expert, have to answer a conundrum from a listener. And here is Jack from the United States. My wife and I are headed to Bangkok for business in late April. It's our first time in Thailand, and we want to add another stop on our trip. We are overwhelmed by all the various places to choose from. Do you have a favourite destination? Okay, so that's a time-honoured tricky one for you, Paul, there, I'm afraid. Um Thailand on holiday, discuss. Yes, thanks. How long <laughs> no have I got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Thailand itself is multiple destinations, of course. So I wouldn't just go to Bangkok. I'd go to Chiang Mai. I'd go down to Phuket. I would sort of suss out the whole of Thailand on that sort of trip. But there's one place I would also go to, probably en route, actually, before getting into Bangkok, which would be Penang which is not too far mm-hmm. away. It's about an hour's flight or so from Bangkok and head for the beautiful capital. And there you will see some incredible buildings dating back two, 300 years, back to pre-British rule in Penang. You've got fantastic hotels like the E&O, which are dramatic architecturally mm-hmm. to stay in. So I think my one place would be Penang. Well, some expert advice there from Paul. For Jack from the United States, I hope he's a satisfied concierge customer. Thank you very much, Paul. Josh, we've got this, and this came anonymously via email. Someone's hiding their travel light under a bushel. Who knows why? But here it is. Despite the mixed reviews I've heard from friends, I'm really intrigued by the UAE and all that's happening there. I'm finally stopping over for a few days in the next few weeks and wanted to know what Monocle recommends in Dubai and nearby. Dubai and nearby? What do we? <laughs> so it's good that the tourism board's been in touch <laughs> with, a, with an anonymous request. Yeah, exactly. That's that good, wasn't it? Exactly. Well, 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 I have to say, I kind of agree with um, anonymous. <laughs> I think it, this anonymous who is um, a female listener. Do we I, know? Is well, I don't know. I think, I think that's been uh, dutifully uh, dealt with by our, by, by our production team. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it's almost nice. like you know them yeah. from, from the office. <laughs> um, I would, um, in all seriousness, say that. Actually, we at Monocle have had quite a a similar kind of trajectory with discovering the UAE, with dismissing some aspects of maybe the looseness, maybe the the ephemerality of some people's lives there, Mm. and really found a lot of texture and interesting people, interesting things, interesting entrepreneurs. And I can say this with some confidence, Rob, because um, you and I have actually been and and, and done some reporting there. I forget the name of the 
belly dancing bar. Ah, yeah. On I the last night. Right, it was a good if unusual final night, wasn't it? And Very... do you remember it was Halloween <laughs> and walking through that weird garden in the hotel with all of the sort of mummies and sort of strange ghouls and things? It, yeah, that yeah. I, it, well, it's always, um, this. that should be a whole concierge, shouldn't it? Kind of when cultures need to appropriate visitors yeah. conventions, like when Japan does Christmas and everyone eats uh, KFC. Yeah. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting away from the topic. I think that now is a very good time to visit the UAE because there's actually some much more subtle and interesting takes on what hospitality can be. And one thing I've jotted down in my notes here is the Alfaya Desert Retreat and Spa. It's an amazing place in Sharjah. It was an old filling station, which was done up by some local architects called An Architect. And they've kept all of the texture and all of the beauty and a sense of the frontier about this place, the, the yeah. place that Wilfred Thesiger wrote about walking across on foot is still kind of there if you look a little bit beyond the cryptocurrencies and the people, <laughs> people high-fiving at brunch. <laughs> There's, um, the, you know, the, That's the, what we want. We want a little bit of, we want a bit of heat haze and, heat haze and, and desert wind. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your concierge services. A wealth of information there for Anonymous and indeed from Jack from the United States. Thank you both. Um, and if you can stick around, we're going to be needing your concierge services later. Up next, though, it's our letter from... And indeed, it is time for a letter from dot, dot, dot. That's our weekly dispatch from our correspondents and contributors from destinations across the globe. Now, Ibiza is a magnet for many things, but preconceived, often misinformed judgments frequently top the list. While the super clubs and mega yachts galvanise opinion, the island's more timeless qualities, which contributed to its status as a Balearic beacon for fun and festivity in the early years, are laid bare in the off-season. Our man in Spain, Liam Aldous, hit the ground to guide us through the island's lesser-known, more peaceful pastures. As each summer season gets bigger, louder and longer, it's no wonder Ibithenkos cast a sort of invisibility cloak over their aisle during the off-season. But with many seeking more peaceful pastures these days, the island's natural beauty, good food and colourful characters have been lifting the spell. A lot of what we're doing is just breaking past the limitations of our minds and we get past wanting to be spiritual or profound or poetic or funny or whatever our usual defaults are to see which voice is really there and what it has to say today. For many visitors, the first port of call is the countryside home of poet Alexia Panay, who hosts weekly creative writing workshops. It may feel weird stepping so soon through a stranger's door, lovely though as Alexia may be, but in Ibiza, the house remains a locus of cultural activity and social connection. When you just arrive on the island, the doors that open depend on the people that you meet. And one of the keys to the island is actually how vulnerable and authentic can you be? And when people feel that you're real, whatever it is, that's what's celebrated here. Later that evening, I pull up a chair at Ambre restaurant to chat with Galicia-born Antia Bagant. Resettling from New York, the former fashion photographer opened this small-scale eatery five years ago, together with partner Argentine chef Matias Romano. We started to realize that there was a big community in the island that have moved to spend like whole year here and there was a philosophy changing in terms of how you experience the island. The couple's bold decision to open all year round seems to have paid off, with Antia showing me around new sister cafe and wine bar Sed, which opened right next door only a few days ago. 
the winter, the calmness, you know, the slow mode, it gives us the time to connect. And the kitchen, they can also have the time to create. Greater connection is something many of the gregarious diners gathered here tonight seem to be craving. Many times the chefs come to the table and bring you the place and they will explain you and they see the immediate reaction with the customer and this is like connecting, you know, this is like wow, like he's actually enjoying the food and well, this is it. We always have a coming of going of not only musicians, we have people from fashion, from design. We have a lot of photo shoots, events here. So it's definitely a creative hub. Leila Arato is showing me around Kanjay, a refurbished farmhouse that combines retro-styled accommodation with a state-of-the-art recording studio. While there is much lore about the island's gatekeepers, people like Leila literally hold the keys, serving as guides and guardians, managing expectations and experiences. I'm very frustrated when people come and don't have a good time, they don't love it, they don't fall in love and I always think, how can you not? <laughs> so for me, I always do my best to show the best sides and show a place that I am in love with in the best possible way. Not everything is at fingertip 24-7, so it's difficult to get a taxi here on the island, not everything can be delivered, people don't really realize that they need a car to get around, so that makes it a bit hard, that you have to really, you have to prep people for coming. In New York, you just go out just to go out, just to be seen and show your new outfit. What I loved about events, parties here, they are meaningful. Camille Pachomienko once ran notorious New York night spot, The Submerser. He's now head of culture and entertainment at Six Senses Ibiza. He's also part of the island's changing face. People running towards rather than away from something, mixing in healing with hedonism, a search for balance but with a capital B. I thought it would be very tacky when somebody would tell me that you start a dance party with meditation, I would laugh a few years ago. Now, when I joined that, it's just so amazing and creates the energy and the synergy and everything. It's very unusual. It's very, it's very unusual. And all the people would come, they come with a different mindset. But what of high culture? While there are several surprisingly dynamic galleries, I'm drawn back to my conversation with Alexia, who reminded me of why we seek out art in the first place. Museums are a bit outdated. I, I love to go to a museum, but those really only popped up to put things in glass and observe them from the outside. We are nature. We are observing ourselves. We are observing the seasons within us that are reflected outside of us. And Ibiza is the most beautiful canvas to create and inspire Everything speaks, and when you're quiet enough to listen, it definitely gets reflected in the art, in the conversations. We're asking questions, and we, we want to learn. It's more grassroots, but it's a funny mix, right? Because we have anything from a hippie living in his van to a billionaire to a famous musician to a farmer, and that is also part of the nature here that communicates. For Monocle in Ibiza, I'm Liam Aldous. Just like the Monocle team, Allianz Partners is committed to helping you build exceptional experiences. Allianz Partners' reputation for excellence and the continuous drive to innovate means the business is uniquely equipped to accompany its partners and customers with their ever-changing travel needs. So get out there 
and visit the places, enjoy the experiences, and meet the people changing the world of hospitality for the better. Allianz Partners. Get the most out of your experience with peace of mind. This is the Concierge on Monocle, and it's time for Watch Your Altitude, the moment in the programme where we bring the very latest news from the world of air travel with the headlines. I'm here with our travel expert, Paul Charles. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you very much. It was a very small little holiday we had in the middle there, wasn't it? We loved it. Considering this is a travel show, we could have gone, gone on longer. So my notes say, Heathrow, can it cope this summer? Oh, my goodness gracious. This seems like a sort of time, again, a time-honoured question that we might be asking you, Paul. So what's the bottom line on Heathrow's chances of, uh, of getting us all in and out the door? It's had a horrendous few months, hasn't it? Uh, since the coming back from COVID and everybody rushing to get back travelling again. Obviously, Heathrow couldn't cope last year. We know that they had to cancel flights in advance. The airlines were up in arms with Heathrow about the whole thing. And fundamentally, they haven't had enough staff. And that's been a, a big issue for the travel industry and hospitality, not just in the UK, but around the world. Heathrow now says it's on the right track. It's operating at about 90% now of what it was pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it's still not back to 100%. But they say they are confident. They've got enough people in place. They can handle luggage problems. They can handle every flight. I don't believe it. <laughs> okay. I, I honestly don't I think say, it's going to happen. I can see you sort of coming to that conclusion by the look on your face, <laughs> teeing it up. Um, I uh, love their confidence. Nicely. I love their confidence. But I think the demand is off the charts, mm-hmm. That's which is great news. It's good for the economy. It's good for jobs. It's good for those airlines who were suffering so much during the pandemic. But I just don't think he throws in a position to be able to handle 100% or even 90% of what we want. And, and it's going to be an issue this summer. And a bit of good news, we hope. You've mentioned a couple of airlines and uh, you're going to welcome a new one for us. There is a new one just announced called Riyadh Air. So this is Saudi Arabia, which is going through huge transformation itself with its track record. But it's trying to make changes. And they obviously already have an airline called Saudia. Uh, or Saudi Air, but Saudi Air it's known mm-hmm. as. And they've announced now Riyadh Air, which will compete alongside. It will be complementary. So this and isn't city hopping. This is, in this is globally to 100 long destinations, okay. long haul, medium haul, short haul. They're going to buy a load of new planes from, I think, Boeing, but maybe Airbus, but let's see. And it'll be a whole new carrier to play in the Middle East. And you'd have thought there were already so many of them. You've got the strength of Emirates and Qatar Airways and Etihad. They're really strong players already themselves flying to 150 destinations or yeah, tomorrow it'll be 151 because they announce a new one every day. <laughs> but essentially, Riyadh Air will be playing in this space. It's great to see another carrier. It'll be well-funded, of course, by Saudi Arabia, no doubt. But let's hope it can manage to compete with some of those strong players. OK, welcome then to Riyadh Air. Paul, thank you so much um, for your, your wit and wisdom and expertise. You were listening there to Paul Charles, CEO of the travel consultancy, the PC Agency. Thanks a lot, Paul. Next up, it's Dining District. To Sweden now for Dining Districts, the part of the programme where we walk you through Monocle's favourite culinary districts. This week, entrepreneur Fia Gulikson meets sommelier Ben Robinson for a gastronomic tour of her hometown, Östersund, in Jämtland in central Sweden. They start in Jäsjeket, a restaurant Fia founded 10 years ago and which Ben now runs. Hello! 
Hey, Ben. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm <laughs> good. I guess I should start by saying I'm from the UK. And yeah, I originally came to Sweden four years ago now to work at Favikan. I think food lovers knows about Favikan. Yes. One of the world's best restaurants. Yes, about an hour from here, I guess. Yeah. Magnus Nilsson yeah. was the creative mind behind the whole thing and the head chef. Exactly. But let's go and have some lunch, I think. And here, when you pass in the hallway, there's a piano. <laughs> so we walk in, we come straight away to our fish counter. Nordic <laughs> oysters. Exactly, fantastic oysters all available. We continue down onto the meat counter, fjellku, mountain cow. You can only find it originally, I think, here in Jämtland and in Harjedalen. And yes. it's a bit smaller cow, but the quality of the meat and the quality of the milk is amazing. It is. Yeah, it's yummy. So we, we tried a little bit of that, and now we're going to move on. And this region is very sparsely populated. We're about 125,000 people. But so many small restaurants and bars and... Uh, very unique small little shops also, not just shopping centers. So now we're actually walking into another courtyard called Norra Station, which means the North Station. They have their own coffee roastery. They also collaborate with the local art members club. So each month there is a new uh, art exhibition in here. Mane is the owner of uh, Norra Station. Here you serve uh, a lot of Swedish fika. It's kind of like the Nordic afternoon tea, but we do it all day. All day, exactly. Yeah, not just in, in the afternoon. We have a nine o'clock fika, could be coffee and a sweet yeah, or a sandwich. And, sweet, and we have what we call the Jamplan pudding. Uh, it's actually a Portuguese uh, cookie that we serve with lingonberry. We rename it as the, the Jamplan pudding. So let's go through here. And this is actually Manne's sister and her husband, Anna Karin. She sells chocolates. So when you're in Östersund, this is a must-stop. You have to go to Tealogot and buy some local chocolates. And they're filled with some berries, the brown cheese. Yes, uh, mesmer, uh, goat cheese. cheese. Yes, sav. Oh, yeah, the yeah, Yes. Oh, wow. Now we come into uh, Marcus Isso's Big Lake Coffee and Smitten's. Hey. Yeah. We Very were together at South Bank Center. Yeah. We did a festival called the Great Nordic Feast. Yes, it was great. And you were there Ex- doing absolutely. Swedish fire coffee, yeah. cook cafe. Can yeah. you explain it a bit uh, Yeah, more? so I think if you really want to break it down, it's it's immersion. It's an immersion brew. And using a fire also is uh, rather interesting because... You Birch would preferably. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to, have to have the right heat as well. Yeah. Do you want something then? No, I'm fine. Honestly. Drive home last night was not fun. In the blizzard and all the oh, wind. Yeah, and was, yeah. I think that's the beauty of Östersund too, is it's the connection to nature. I have the opportunity to live right on the lake. So I just take on my skis and take the dog. Here we are passing a um, place called Via de Marks, And it's actually 
the home of where they invented smörgåstårta. It's a sandwich layered cake. One of the weirdest things ever. <laughs> and it's actually like a surf and turf. So you have shrimps and you have mixed with ham. But it's a perfect thing when you have a party with a lot of different age groups. It was invented here in the 50s by a baker. And in the corner of the square, we have slaktan. And they buy in whole animals. And three days a week, they open up a wine bar. And so Peter Benneson, he ran a restaurant in Stockholm called 19 Glasses, 19 Glas, for many years. And now you take the train up every Wednesday, right? And you serve fantastic wines. I'm looking at the fridge quite enviously. We're getting served something here. Just uh, heated up the sobrasada to release the taste of the fat. Mm. Thank you, Peter. We're also just passing by Bua, which is a, another exquisite little restaurant. Orange wine on the tap. And I think we finish off to just hear the sound when we walk on the white snowy street in Östersund. A 15-minute drive from the bustle of the Dutch capital brings visitors to the lakeside fishing village of De Dechedem and a smart new hotel of the same name. The whitewashed 17th century inn now has 14 guest rooms and a lively 42-cover restaurant. But the revamp was as much about reconnecting with the building's history as it was attracting the overnight set. Paul Geertman is the founder and managing director of EDAS, the firm behind it. Despite years in the industry developing and running hotels for others, De Dechedem is the first fully owned and run hotel. Josh, um, you got a first look in the print uh, issue, the current print issue of Monocle. Always nice to receive some Dutch hospitality. How was this trip? It was absolutely incredible, Rob. I've been waxing lyrical about it. My brother moved to Amsterdam a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and I can honestly say, if I'd have known that four miles away there was a, a little place like this, you know, I'd have visited every time I go, and I'm already making plans to go back in the summer. It's an amazing kind of terracotta-roofed old 17th-century building that has been taken really back to the core. Little bits which were taken from underneath the building have been used to decorate it. And an incredible studio, some Eindhoven design school graduates who are now based in Amsterdam called Bureau Belen. They're material researchers and they're the people who've done their very first hotel here. And you can see it. You can see that they've taken little bits of attention to detail. The ochre, the brick-coloured finishes, the head boards of the beds are made of tulip wood. Everything kind of pays homage, as you said, to this history and this idea of what's going on. But more than that, because actually when you stay in a hotel, you're not really always looking at the headboard. (laughs) But, you know, it is just this incredibly welcoming, beautiful space. I was extremely fortunate to catch uh, the busy man behind ADAS who've developed such incredible projects as the amazing Soho House in Amsterdam. They've managed hotels for people. They've done these incredibly sensitive renovations of beautiful buildings, of which... The Dutch capital and its surrounds have uh, have so many. Mm. But this is his first hotel, so I was super keen to hear what it was about the magic of this one place that made him turn from developer, turn from the facilitator of other people's hotels into something of his own. And this is what Paul Hirtman, the CEO of Adas, had to say to me. The decision to start our own operations company it was a, an independent decision from Durgedam. But Durgedam came along at that time. So I think, you know, typically we do hotels at a bigger scale. The idea of developing something small scale where we could experiment with our ideas and with the way we wanted to 
operate hotels was something that made sense. We wanted to do something that was relatively high-end, but obviously we didn't have the picture in mind as it is today. That is something that we developed together with everything that was involved in not only when it comes to interior design and architecture, but there's also a lot of technology that went into that building because of the ambitions that we have also in the field of sustainability. And all these ingredients defined the final product. What we did have in mind in the beginning, and that's why we chose the interior designer that we've chosen, is that this was a place that was about light and reflection, water, space, stillness and we wanted that to be reflected in the hotel where depending on the orientation every room has different colors that respond to the kind of light that comes from that direction the rooms are about stillness the public areas are about being together and uh, and having a, a higher energy this was a very clear picture that we had in mind when we started and i think it's uh, rewarding to see the result that is here today we managed to incorporate that in the DNA of the hotel. This building has been there from as far as we have found in the archives since 1664. It has always been an inn. It was destroyed a couple of times by flooding and by fire, but that location, that place has always been a place where people would meet and sleep and dine, etc. So the connection to the village itself and the harbor are two important ones. Also, if we go a little bit broader, we also want this to be a place where Amsterdamers will go and spend a day or a weekend. So it's not just something that is designed and conceived for people that travel from outside, but also for the village itself and the city itself, because it's Durgedam is part of Amsterdam. Formerly, it's the northern district, and we, we want it to be um, a neighbor. <laughs> We've tried to create a place that has different experiences for the guest. The higher energy of the restaurant where you can enjoy food, where you can be together in a very cozy atmosphere. And on the other side, the stillness of the room where we have hidden the television, where we have a very good reading chair. At night when you go to sleep, you can really black out your room bring the temperature of the room to the ideal temperature for sleeping, where you don't have to put on the lights at night when you want to go to the toilet because there's a little small light that switches on when you step out of your bed so that you don't have to wake up, creating the best possible sleeping experience. So I think it's these kind of things that people are more and more sensitive for and looking for. That was Paul Hertman of Edas, the company behind the just-opened De Dergedem Hotel in Amsterdam. Look out for the April issue of Monocle magazine for more on that and Josh's wonderful report. And that is it for today's programme. Thanks to our panel and, of course, our producer, Tom Webb, our researcher, Monica Lillis, and our studio manager, David Stevens. If you have a question for the concierge, drop us an email on concierge at monocle.com. Join us next time. We'll be trying out the new Amsterdam to Austria Ski Express night train. Until then, I've been Robert Bound. Thank you for tuning in and happy travels.